Hello. Hello.
open. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yes. I can hear you too. Okay. So, um, have you met Katarina yet? Um. So I didn't meet her. Um. Um. Using any apps, we just contact using emails. I see. I see. Because normally, she starts the room so she can organize oh. it. Oh, I see. Is there any way I could change? Well, um, we could possibly we could close the room, but let me try to just ping her in. Oh, um, okay. Because we're yeah, we're supposed to start in about ten or eleven minutes. So. Okay, let let me let me. Oh, oh, maybe I could leave quietly, and you could someone could. Uh, um, oh, oh, it says if I leave, a new moderator will be chosen from the current speaker. Well, so I guess when she joined, I can give her. Okay. Well, um, what would also be nice is if you could make me moderator. If you click on my picture, and there's a button that says "Make Moderator." Oh, oh, I see. Hi, everyone. Oh, hey, oh, here I'm you are. Here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just pinging you. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Have so I we're. Uh, we were discussing whether we need to restart the room, but we're all here in mods, so is that okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, we're good. That's good. Dr. Chang beat us to the stage. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you. You still know where the uh, unmute button is, right? Just in case. Uh, ah. Hey. <laughs> uh, yes, so, so I just um, unmute myself. Yep, exactly. Thank you. Uh, thank you for opening up the room. How's your Saturday? Everything good? Uh, yes, everything is good. 
let me put up the the PowerPoint so you can click on we can click on it and try it out just in case it should work So, Dr. Chang, this is a really fascinating topic to me. Uh, my background is in chemistry, and I do dabble in AI um, lately, much more. So, I'm going to be very curious about about your topic. Ah, uh, thank you. Hi, um, yeah, as well, I mean, this is a very interesting topic. Looking forward to the discussion. Hi, Frank, how have you been? I, I don't know if uh, you, I was hurt. Uh, I have a problem with the signals. I just said, you know, very looking forward to this uh, very interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah, we could hear you. I hope you can hear us. But yep. yeah, we, we. Yesterday we had some issues in the room yesterday on stage, apparently not in the audience, but on stage, sometimes people would be cutting out. But not for everyone, so it was kind of. Oh weird. yeah, it was really sort of this stochastic, you know, connection drop. It was crazy. Hey everyone, um, hi D, hi John, hi Rabbit. Uh, we'll start in around five, six to five minutes. Uh, thanks for being here and. Um, yeah, welcome. I'm going to sneak bites. <laughs> So they limited the pinging quite harsh. Did you realize you can only ping like a few people? Oh, did they cut that down? Yes. So uh... could only ping now a few people in. And huh. people always tell me, please ping me in when you have a room, but I, I can't possibly. Hmm. Huh. Ping everyone in. Hi Ben. Hi BA. How are you today? Yes. 
something? Did you do something nice today, Serena? I did. It was, um, did I already forget? No, yeah. there was something really. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> um, oh my God. I'm well, I just saw, um, a show with Chris is over. So we just uh, saw a show, but I, what was I doing this afternoon? I already forgot. Yeah. Happens. It's <laughs> so funny. Oh, and I forgot my P my PTR. I, that was um, Victoria invited me into one of her sound rooms, and I thought this was more appropriate. I think I'll switch back though. It's nice. I like it. Do you? I mean, I like also the other one. I mean, it's hard yeah, to I, it with your pictures, but this is my noir one. I I think I'll um switch to my regular one. Yeah, it's nice. The light is uh, nice, you know. It's funny that that's actual sunlight, and then I used a studio light filter and put a vignette around it. But it said that was the sun coming in, so it was kind of funny. Yeah, it's nice. I have to switch it up, but it's so hard for me. I don't like pictures of myself, so <laughs> it's really rare. <laughs> Hi, Mona. We'll start in around three to four minutes. Um, welcome everyone. This will be a really exciting talk with our um, guest speaker. Can, I'm sorry, I I want to check if I'm saying your name right. Li Shui Cheng, is that right? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> My Chinese name is a little bit hard to pronounce. You can call okay. me just, you know, Sherry, it's fine. You. Oh, but yeah, if I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I... Yeah, yeah, of course, you're saying it correctly. It's Li Shui? Yes. Okay. Li Shui. Yes, Li Okay, Li Shui. On the I. Li Shui. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Nice. Yeah, that, that, that X is hard. So what, what, what okay. would be the Chinese, uh, English... Uh... Uh, translation. I mean, the, uh, the I think the closest one no? is that. Uh, would the closest one be Lisa? I think. Maybe, but uh, yeah. So I use Sherry for a very long time. So that's why that's my uh, English name. But yeah, Sherry. Uh, yes. So that's my English name. Okay. So actually, it's also on the uh, slide, the first page. Whichever you prefer is the name we'll go with. So I know how it is. My name rarely gets pronounced right. So Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> Sherry probably is better. <laughs> because, because I, I actually, it's funny when sometimes people then actually pronounce it like, you know, people in Portugal. Would, I feel like happy all of them. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, you know, when, when somebody pronounces your name, like, like when you were a kid, then. Well, have I been doing it right all along, Katarina? Is that oh, how you it, say it? It's fine. It's Katarina, but it's hard to say it that way. Kat but it's Katarina. not wrong how you say it. It's totally Kat 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 Katarina. Katarina. Kat Kat yeah. Katarina, right? 
Yeah, it's it's not wrong. It's right. It's the right spelling. But mostly Russian people say completely right, so it kind of makes me happy. I don't know. I could, I could put a Florida spin and say um, Katarina. Oh right, <laughs> <laughs> that's also cool. <laughs> Hello there, Katarina. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I like that. I'm enjoying living in Florida. I get to uh, be one of the tribe. <laughs> so, so how long have you been in Florida? I think have we're you... going on four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. like two years went poof. Funny how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about four years. Then you start feeling at home, right? Yeah, it's been long enough where I, you know, I'm kind of local. <laughs> well, okay, shall we? Yeah. Uh, welcome everyone to the Science Society. And of course, a special uh, welcome and thank you to Dr. Li Shui uh, Cheng, and she will presenting here her very interesting research. Um, she is in the Miller Group in the Division of uh, Chemistry and Chemical Engineering at the California Institute of Technology. And um, she um, did her um, she will actually join soon the Tencent Quantum Lab in, Ju in July 2022 as a research scientist. And she earned her PhD degree uh, of theoretical chemistry in California in the California Institute of Technology, where she worked with Professor uh, Miller. And she received her Bachelor of Science degree in quadruple majors in chemistry, math, biochemistry, and molecular biology. Oh and my God. And a minor in computer science from University of Wisconsin-Madison. She is interested in the interdisciplinary research between chemistry, physics, biology, and computer science, and is passionate about bringing the mind gaps between different areas. Her current research focuses on AI for chemistry, including molecular modeling by molecular orbital-based machine learning methods for um, electronic structure and nucleic acid secondary structure modeling with machine learning on molecular dynamics tools. So yeah, you have such an impressive um, bio. So it's really an honor having you here and um, if it's okay, uh, Serena would ask you a couple of questions and then it would be the stage is yours for the, your presentation. Is that okay? Uh, of course, of course. Okay, well, welcome uh, to the Science Society. We like to ask a general question in the beginning. And um, was there a time uh, where you, you know, in growing up, is there a time where you really, uh, or a particular moment where you really knew you had to get into science? 
Um, I think probably high school. Uh, yeah. So, um, high school, I read several uh books, uh, college textbooks, and find it fascinated by the biology and chemistry these uh topics. Uh, and I think uh, if I have an opportunity, I want to keep working on these science majors and keep developing all the techniques in these fields. Hmm. So, and and you got into I, I I heard that you you cleared four a quadruple major at once. That's 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 so fascinating. Um, what was it that brought you to the particular study of getting of understanding molecular orbitals through uh, AI approaches? Um. So um, it's it was my first year uh graduate school. So um, I'm the nearly the only one that knows uh, uh, machine learning techniques in the group. And uh, our postdoc has a very nice idea about how to, uh, about uh, molecular orbital applications. Um, and we start this uh, work together. So originally this uh, using this molecular orbital idea is not only my idea, it's uh, kind of like a teamwork. So, mm-hmm. um, so the initial goal for us is to uh, to bring down the cost of the all these uh, expensive quantum chemistry comp- computations um, mm-hmm. to to um, make our one's research faster and more accurate. Um, and we keep working on this field for a very long time, so nearly my entire PhD. Um, and I find it is really useful too. So that's why I, 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 I would like to keep working on this. Well, it's such a it's it's an exciting application for um, for a very recent field. So, uh, or approaches. Well, um, so the audience can access your talk, uh, the slides at the top, and they can follow along. Um, so you can either take questions at certain key points in the talk, or you can get through the talk and ask questions. It's really up to you. But um, um, yeah, 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 of course. Okay, so with that, take us away. Um, so I think if anyone has questions, please just uh, directly ask me during the talk, because I think it is easier to build up the ideas. If you ask at the end, maybe it's a little bit hard, maybe lose track. So I'm fine to be interrupted. Just feel free to interrupt me. Um, Hell yeah, that's awesome. Just just want to say interruptions are, are really awesome. And uh, if, for those of us uh, who uh, interrupt you, my apologies, even now, as I, as I say this, but I really appreciate that because I think uh, oftentimes maybe more than one person has that kind of similar question or similar wrong idea. And so we can oftentimes address it. So uh, no such thing as maybe stupid questions. So if anyone from the audience would like to come up and ask some questions as things go along, please uh, feel free to raise your hand. And uh, my apologies. Please go ahead. Thanks for the demonstration, uh-huh. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Consider uh-huh. Exhibit A. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for your invitation and introduction. And also thanks Serena's question. So uh, um, today I'm introducing my uh, research on accurate and transferable molecular orbital-based machine learning for molecular modeling. So um, if everyone could go to the page two. Um, so I hope to start with to introduce some basic uh, uh, current status of this general field of quantum simulations. 
So basically, um, the goal of the quantum simulation field is trying to solve this top equation called Schrodinger equation. So this is the general goal. And uh, we want to solve this Schrodinger equation and find the energies of any uh, chemical, biological, or material science systems. However, to directly solve this uh, equation is super expensive or, or sometimes it's even impossible. So people uh, in this field developed a lot of different types of the uh, theoretical approaches to solve this Schrodinger equation. And here I list a bunch of famous ones that um, people are commonly used in this field. And uh, here I have a triangle from the bottom to up is um, increasing cost and increasing accuracy of these, um, uh, uh, these quantum simulation theories. And from the, uh, from the uh, bottom to up, it also re have a reduced largest size that a theory can treat. So basically, if you're trying to use a theory called FUCI, which is on the top, you can only solve very, very small systems, like very few electrons. But if you have a classical field, you could simulate a very large system, like a large material or large systems, or like a protein. However, you cannot do it with the FUCI theory. So this is the current status of the methods. And here, uh, I want to highlight a category of method, which is what I'm, we are trying to uh, pointing, uh, trying to targeting on. It's called the wave function theory, which is in the middle. It's considered the second best uh, category of the quantum simulation theory. This type of theory we could further develop, develop a lot, develop a lot of subcategory of it. So here I list three of very useful theories in this category. Um, from top to bottom is the CCSD Princess T, which is the golden standard of the entire field. So basically, if you run a computation and this is at this CCSD Princess T level, people will consider your calculation is very accurate. And then is a, a little bit cheaper method called CCSD and another method called MP2. All three of them is based on another theory called Hartree-Fock theory. So basically, when you want to compute the three theories I listed here, you need to first compute this Hartree-Fock theory. And then you need to do some something on top of your calculation of this Hartree-Fock theory. This Hartree-Fock theory usually is much cheaper than the all three above. And it falls into similar cost as another very famous category called DFT, which is the most commonly used in the chemistry or biology world to do all the simulation, to do all the simulations. So the Hartree-Fock theory is very similar to DFT, but has a less accuracy than DFT. That's why people is using DFT to do all the quantum simulations, because it is cheaper and uh, ac relatively accurate. So today, our topic is trying to reach the high level accuracy of the three level of series I highlighted here, CCSD Princess T, CCSD, and MP2, using the cost of this Hartree fog. So uh, I hope this is clear to everyone. So if it, we are fine, we will go to the slide three. So, um, so well, after we, 
we clear what is our goal. So I want to also introduce a little bit of provide everyone a bigger uh, background about uh, the entire the uh, entire field of machine learning from quantum chemistry. So because we see that uh, tra uh, that uh, pyramid, uh, you have different level of theories and you have different accuracies. People think of using machine learning to reduce the cost and improve the accuracies um, uh, in the in the entire field, and the people do have a lot of successful theories. So on the left column, I list the euro strategies in this field that people are using. That people are using the geometries of a molecule or a system um, to generate some something called features, basically your input X to make a prediction of the energies at a, a DFT level of accuracy. So usually people will uh, using the numeric, numerical representations of the atom depths, bond types, bond angles, bond length. And recently people are using something called fragment motifs. So basically if you see OH is a commonly show up functional group, people will bundle them together as one uh, subunit and do some numerical featureization or numerical representation of this subunit. So they, here I show an example of water. So, and I highlight several things that people might consider to use in their representation using a geometry. So the benefit of this Euro strategy in the field is it is very easy to understand for general people that are just directly using this geometry. Um, however, um, so it has a very, uh, the, the accuracy of this strategy is not very good because the map between this geometry representation, basically these bond types, bond angles, directly to that energy that we are targeting to is less direct which means that your machine learning map is very complicated and hard to learn. And also there is another more serious issue of most of the method in this field is they are less transferable. Transferable means that when I learn a small molecule, I could apply a, a similar large molecule, this model to a similar large molecules. Say for example, um, I learned a model on enzyme, which has two carbons, and I want to pr predict our alkene with 10 carbons. So it cannot do it. But, but the, the, the idea is that for these small molecules, we can always calculate, very, uh, calculate the energies very accurately. The goal, the, another goal for this field is we could compute a very large system with a very high accuracy. But if your model cannot be directly applied to these large molecules and can only be restricted to the small molecules, that's a big loss for the for the for the for the for this machine learning approach. So um so to solve these issues that I mentioned in the Euro strategy, we come up with a new strategy that is using the molecular orbital-based features that is computed from that cheaper Hartree-Fock calculations. Recall that I mentioned that Hartree-Fock is a required computation when you do a very accurate of, uh, molecular energy computation. So our idea is that we use some information extracted 
from these first computations that you made and uh, using and predict the differences between of the Hartree-Fock theory and the target theory that golden standard we are happy with. Um, so the the here I show the molecular orbital. What is a molecular orbital? Because we are general audience, so I want to be more specific. So molecular orbital, uh, if you naively thinking about it, it's like a bond. A bond. So if you have an OH bond, that's a sigma orbital. And if you have a carbon-carbon double bond, that will be a, a pi orbital. There are different types of the orbitals. And here I'm showing the four molecular orbitals in the water. And here we see the first one along the upper left corner is the OH bond orbital. And the second one is the OH bond orbital too. And for the bottom two, they are the lone pairs because oxygen have extra two, pair, two pairs of the electrons. So these are the lone pairs orbitals for the, ox, for the, ox, uh, for the oxygen. So these, these four orbitals can also fully represent the water uh, other than the left column that I showed the, the purely the geometry. So we are using a numerical representation of these four orbitals to represent water instead of the geometry. And the benefit of our method is it is more direct because you compute all these orbitals from Hartree-Fock. It honestly reflects your wave functions. Your, or your Schrodinger equation. So, 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 so recall that we are targeting to solve the Schrodinger equation. So that phi is the wave function. So this, these molecular orbitals could represent these wave functions. So therefore, it is an easier mapping. And also, this way, it is transferable. Because if you think about the bonds, OH bonds in water actually is very similar to water bonds to OH bonds in methanol or some other molecules. So molecular orbital is a general language in the chemistry field. So that's why it is transferable. So when you learn a small molecule, you have ability to predict a larger molecule. So I, and I will show several examples of how it works and what's the performance. So uh, I hope I will understand the general idea and the motivation of our design. Um, so Please let me know if you have questions for slide, uh, oh, for slide three. If not, let's keep moving on to slide four. So like I mentioned in slide three, uh, we want to use a molecular orbital representation. But you see that the molecular orbitals are just a picture or shape. Uh, we need to have some real numerical representation. So basically the numbers, how to transform them to numbers. So here comes to how we design these uh, representation or design these features to faithfully represent all these uh, all these um, uh, molecular orbitals. Before that, I want to first introduce some physics uh, related things to help us to understand why we do these feature design. So the first thing I want to introduce is about um, the the, the factorization of energies. So like I mentioned, the, to, the, 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 the goal is to predict the total energy of a molecule. Uh, however, these total energies could be separated as two components. 
the first component is what we do in the first stage of computation called Hartree-Fock computation, which is this EHF in, in slide four. And uh, the other component is called correlation energies, which is the EC in these slides. And the total energies could be the sum of both of them. So that's another reason why people could do Cartree Fork on computations first, then do the golden standard CTSD process T, because actually it's built on top of it. And uh, everyone can, can think, treat it as a correction. So Cartree Fork is a baseline method, and the advanced methods are a correction based on the Cartree Fork. And uh, we are targeting on this correction term because we computed the Cartree Fork already. And this correction term could be further decomposed as a summation of molecular orbital contributions. So this summations is epsilon ij. ij is the molecular orbitals index. So for example, for the worker case, we have four index. i could be a one to four. j could also be one to four. So these are the refer to the i and the j refer to each molecular orbital. And for epsilon ij, it could also account for the interactions of two molecular orbitals, basically interactions between two bonds. It is very important to include these interactions because when you study some biomolecular systems, these are actually affect a lot of process reactions that we could think of. So, uh, and and this uh, decomposition of the correction term correlation energy is called Nesbitt theorem. So this is a, 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 a this is an existing theorem, not developed by us. It's developed by uh, Professor Nesbitt back to nineteen fifties. So that's for he states that for any correlation energies, you could rewrite this correlation energy as a summation of the pair energies. The pair energies. Uh, is the epsilon ij. So our targeting learning is become then to learn this pairwise decomposition, the pair energies instead of the total energies. And these pair energies, like I said, is a molecular orbital case. So basically each pairwise molecular orbitals will have an identical um, uh, pair energy. So we could do the machine learning by mapping the molecular orbital properties with these pair energies. And uh, by the Nesbitt theorem, this uh, function, this map should be a universal map that basically, no, uh, I, uh, it, once I, we learn a function, as long as you give me a pair of orbitals, we could directly give you a, 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 a unique and uh, accurate pair energies. So therefore, we are trying to construct a map between the molecular orbital-based features to the molecular orbital-based pair energies. So I hope this sounds very rational. This rationale sounds very reasonable to everyone. So here then, we could introduce our feature design, how we could do the numerical representation of these molecular orbitals to construct this map. I highlight several desired properties that we need to satisfy in this field. And then I have several things board in bold. This bold fonts text 
or the special properties that only molecular-based machine learning our approach satisfy, and a lot of other approaches didn't satisfy. But the more things or, or, or the general desired property are highlighted here also. So firstly, um, the things should be first principles. So basically, what mean what is the first principles? If that all your features should be computed or directly derived from your geometry or your related uh, quantum simulations. And secondly, uniqueness, that for each molecular orbital pair energies, you need to have a unique representation. And for each representation, you need to give a unique prediction. And also, we should consider to have a consistent ordering of our representation. So basically, in each position, uh, each feature represents the same physical meaning. Instead of we just uh, throw a bunch of numbers and uh, let machine learning figure it out. And also, we need to consider an uh, important property in the quantum simulation called size consistency. So size consistency means that when you have two molecules in your systems, when you have two molecules very far away, say 1,000 Einstein far away, that they should have no interactions. And the total energy of the entire system should equal to the sum of these two molecules computed individually. However, a lot of theory cannot do this. This sounds very uh, easy to do, so it sounds naive, but actually it is hard to satisfy. So this property is called size consistency in the entire field. Also, there are several invariances that we need to satisfy. So for example, translational invariances, basically when you move your molecule from uh, one position to the other, your energy should never change. So this is the transitional, translational invariances. And the second one is the rotational invariances. So basically when you rotate, your molecule, your energy, and your features should not change too, because uh, you just uh, simply do some rotation, right? And also, uh, atom index permutation or orbital index permutation. So basically, it depends on if I label oxygen as one or label oxygen as two, it should not affect my prediction for the energies because it's always the same molecule. So these are very important properties that when you construct a machine learning uh, model, you should consider. And for the real features, we inspired by the MP2 equation. I recall that I introduced MP2 as a very important uh, theory in wing function theory category. And we actually inspired by this MP2 uh, equation uh, to construct our features. MP2 equation I listed here in the slides four. And in the bottom, we see four terms, FAA, FBB, FII, and FII, and, FII, and FJJ. These four terms, A, B, has index A, B, I, J. These A, B, I, Js are actually the orbitals. And for the F, it refers to a matrix called Falk matrix. And this Falk matrix, people probably can find that Hartree Falk also has a Falk. In, inside of the name. So the Falk matrix is directly computed from the, the Hartree-Falk uh, computations. So when you compute MP2, 
these uh, feature, these matrix elements that are directly computed from Hartree-Fock shows up in the computation equations. And for the upper one, that is a full index electron integrals, it is probably more complicated for people to understand. So I will waste the introduction of that. But people can just think about that the other two matrix can approximate the upper part of this MP2. And these two matrix are the column matrix and the exchange matrix, which are also could be directly computed from the Hartree-Fock theory. So basically, then we have the all the information or all the ingredients that we need to build up our molecular orbital features that we just using these feature elements from the matrix and do some proper flattening uh, operation. Then we could form a operate form a vector for each pair allergies. And here I also show the benefit of doing this. So in the bottom, and uh, I show the energy breakdown and the, the computational cost for the for the series. So Hartree-Fock uh, obtain or capture not over 99% of the total molecular energy. But in the second, second figure, uh, on the CPU time, people probably cannot see that blue part because Hartree-Fock takes only one percentage of the computing time. So that's why it's nearly for hard for people to see it. But for the part that the, uh, the co correction or the correlation energy that MP2 or CCSD or CCSD transit T captures, these are very important for understanding the chemical process or chemical reactions because it might change a lot for different structures or different processes or different reaction intermediates. So that's why to get this correlation energy is super important. But you know, Hartree-Fock is super cheap. So that's why our approach still have a huge benefit because you cut over 99% of the cost, but you get the exactly the same accuracy as what you are targeting to. So um, I hope the slide four is also very clear to everyone about uh, how we design the features and how we have the idea where we come from. If there is no question, I will move on to the results part to show um, some examples. Uh, Dr. Chen, yeah, thanks uh, for the excellent uh, prepared slides. And uh, for this particular slide, is uh, uh, just uh, for me, I mean, it's overwhelming for me. I'm giving a layperson background. But uh, can I uh, request that uh, you uh, go a little bit uh, further in uh, uh, explaining the. So uh, in uh, on the uh, on the left, you have a uh, theorem a theorem that's saying that uh, uh, what is the uh, energy here, the the pair energy. What what do uh, uh, any like physical, uh, 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 you know, thing that it points to? And then for the features, the uh, could you uh, 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 go a little bit further to uh, say what what uh, for the MP two and uh, uh, you uh, can you uh, uh, explain again uh, what's uh, 
so basically what is the connection between what what is the uh, the features exactly i mean at this point i in my mind it's just you have desired properties but uh, i couldn't you know form a uh, get a comprehension of the, the particular features that you're 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 uh, generating yeah thank you um so for the features i think i listed here is the matrix elements that FAA, FDD, FIA, FJG are also the features directly. So the matrix will have, it's a two by two matrix that uh, for each column and each row, it will represent a orbital value inside of the matrix. So I didn't write a full list of the feature because I think that's too advanced for a general audience. So that's why I just list that these are the matrix elements. These are just the matrix elements we directly obtained from the Hartree-Fock computations. I hope it is clear because, I mean, we have seven we have over seven hundred features, <laughs> so it is impossible for me to write everything on the slide. But it's just an idea that how you could generate these features because there are too many. Um, and for 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 the energy part, the pair energy is that epsilon ij. It represents the contribution and the interactions of each MO and the MO interactions. So if you think that you could chunk this molecule into different pieces, each piece will carry some energy. And if you think of like that, so the pair energy is for, for that each chunk's energy. That's, that's why when you do a summation, you could sum them up and get the correlation part. Is that clear? So you're uh, only considering pair uh, correlations here. So so I, I I could be I could be equal to J. So when you when you have I to J, that's uh, also included. That's a self interaction of your MO. So MOI interact with MOI. So this is uh, this Nesbitt theorem is exact. So there are long derivation for how you could from this correlation energy to to this summation of MO decompositions. I see. Thank you. So, by just quickly, by the way, what is the shorthand for OCC? Uh, that's the occupied orbitals. So, um, so uh, I think I didn't explain that. Uh, if I if I feel that's a little bit advanced, you could ignore me. The, the following part because that probably will not affect your understanding for the entire world. That for the molecular orbitals, there are two subcategories. One category is called occupied orbital. So basically, you have electrons in these orbitals. And there is another category called virtual orbitals. Basically, you don't have any electrons inside of it. And usually, we denote the uh, occupied orbital using I and J index. And uh, for the virtual orbital, which you can see in the MP2 equation, there is a word, V-I-R-T, already indexed with A and B. So um, so these are different uh, subcategories of the orbitals. Right, so so then the, then the I mean, uh, my confusion comes from the uh, MP2 equation that uh, you have occupied orbital uh, summation index I and J, and then you have uh, the diagonal terms that uh, um, so the a and b is the uh, for the uh, virtual the, the new one uh, 
that that's where I'm. Okay, uh, A and B is for the virtual orbitals that you actually don't have electrons inside of it, and for our modeling, we only separated as a uh, we only separate as the measure of occupied orbitals, and then we could predict the occupied orbitals pair energies using the features that include the information from occupied orbital and virtual orbitals. So, so uh, I'll just say a couple of things that will maybe clarify this a bit for Hanson. Um, in in part in in quantum theory, um, there's you know where uh, uh, an, an electron's wave function is in a given state, but and and this is what the configuration interaction calculations that were mentioned earlier. Uh, actually, there is. Uh, additionally, density in excited states that affects the density in the uh, the the lower energy states, and so to accurate to to ca calculate energies of of molecules and especially molecules interacting. Uh, very accurately, you need to take into account the energy that those uh, potential excitations would have on even the ground state as a correction. Oh, so the, the virtual here, meaning that uh, the unoccupied. That's right. Yes. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was thinking that probably it will be a little bit advanced for 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 us, and actually, it will not. If you didn't clear to understand, it will not affect the understanding for the following things. I think. So, so, uh, so. Um, a, oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. So, uh, is this a good time to ask a few questions, or um, uh, should I um, the uh, wait till the end? Oh, sorry, I, I didn't hear you very clearly. Oh. Could you? Okay. Uh, oh, okay. A anyway, I'll, I'll just ask the question. Uh, the uh, um, so I'm just wondering the this uh, the computation is it um, trained on the is this uh, uh, first uh, a few questions. Um, the first question is um, is this a neural net uh, trained on the um, uh, computation, uh, let's say, f maybe a full-blown computation on density function uh, theory. Uh, second question, well, maybe I'll, I'll ask the first question first, and then I'll uh, ask the follow, follow uh, Actually, no, we are not targeting to density functional theory, and also we are not using neural net. So I will introduce the machine learning techniques we're using in the following slides. We're not using neural net because neural net work requires a lot of data. So recall that our goal in this approach is to targeting very accurate theory, which you cannot always get a lot of points because they are expensive. So, but yes, we're targeting to the computations of a high level theory computations and using a cheaper computations to approximate it with machine learning. Okay, so, so basically, so you're not using density function uh, theory then uh, what kind of, so you're making a kind of a, a bit rougher so, so Hansen, approximation? Yes, she, she mentioned in the previous slide, it's a Hartree-Fock basis and the exchange correlation terms on top of that. So it's a, at a higher level of theory than density functional. 
but perhaps we could get a little further uh, into. I, I don't think Hartree-Fock actually Hartree-Fock is uh, kind of a, a bit lower. Um, I mean, because it, it just it's uh, more accurate than, than density functional. But um, uh, look, perhaps not, we should get. I'm not sure about that. I mean, because uh, Hartree-Fock is basically. We can go back. We can go back to slide two actually. So where you okay. have to fog, which is less accurate than the FD, yes. but we are talking exactly. to that's, that's what Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. The uh, uh, Serena is saying that's uh, more accurate, but uh, that is uh, because uh, density, density, density function. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the final goal is to be more accurate than DFT. Yeah, yeah. So the, the final goal we are targeting to is CTFD prices T. Yeah, Hartree-Fock But we're using Hartree-Fock. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, exactly. with the with the exchange correlation terms, you can do better, but it's more expensive to. Uh, to yeah, compute. yeah, but 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 that's uh, uh, not an accurate. Okay, perhaps we could move problem. further into the talk, Hanson. Okay, so uh -huh. but I just want to. Uh, so so the density function theory. I mean that the the uh, exchange uh, correlation. That's a correction term on the Hartree fox. So, but but that's not uh, like as um, detailed as the function. Uh, uh, density function theory. But anyway, go ahead. So, so, uh, so if you want to learn a B3 lab, you could also do this. So you're change, so basically, like you said, that B3 lab have, you already have 20% of hydrofoil correction in the exchange correlation term. Uh, and if you want to learn the DFT, you don't need to do hydrofoil computation. You do XTB. Come back to the uh, slide two. So you could do a semi-empirical method and climb the LIDAR, climb this pyramid with a cheaper theory. It's no means for you to do Hartree Fock and then predict brief relief, right? Because they're nearly the same cost. So that's why we're we're here the the work I'm introducing is climbing between the DF like climbing between the uh the, the lighter between DFT and the V function theory. But if you're targeting DFT, you could also do a similar work like what I'm introducing here, but using a semi empirical method, which is much cheaper than DFT. So you, you have variation of weights using similar ideas. And you can also using AMO-based ideas using XTB, which is a semi-equivocal method. Or you can also using AO, atomic orbitals. Um, but these are not uh, quite related to today's talk. So that's why I didn't mention that. So you have different ways to tackle that too, if you want DFT. Yeah, no, no. But I, just I, quickly I, with the I, I on just the slides, make sure that what so the this, base, uh, uh, what the basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our baseline, our target is CCSD parentheses D and CCSD or MP two, not DFT. We are DFT cost. We are at DFT cost, but you can do better than DFT. So hope that's very clear to everyone now. Um, uh, and quick, uh, if I like to for. On, uh, for this particular slide, uh, uh, is there a reference, or is, this is your uh, contribution? The, this this uh, pyramid uh, uh, hierarchy. So you mean the papers we published? No, I mean this particular slide number two with the pyramid uh, hierarchy. Uh, is the overview? Uh, yes, I made this uh, pyramid. So, but I think if you ch check. You just search online, and for any textbook, it will introduce that cost. So basically, it's the complexity. So for FUCI, it's a combinatorial complexity, so n factorial. V function theory it depends on which theory you're using. CCSD plus T is 
uh, complexity of the n to the seventh. CCSD is n to the sixth. MP2 is n to the fifth. DFT is usually n to the cubic or n to the uh, n to the uh, n to the square. So so these are also some complexity that you commonly could find in any textbook or literature. So I order them in the complexity order. Okay, so it's uh, the number of uh, operations I see. So there's uh, probably a reference yeah, for, for, for this uh, uh, categorization. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you for all the questions. Let's uh, move on with the talk. Thank you. Uh, yes, so because we have limited time, so I probably will um, uh, just show several examples of the performance of our methods. Um, so uh, here in the first set of category in a set of the text in size five, the same trust feature set is what we did more operations on our molecular orbital based features because you want to satisfy the desired properties I mentioned in the previous slides. We did several additional uh, operations on top of it. Uh, basically, you want to make sure that when you switch your ING index, you will have the same predictions for the actually because they are the same identity of pairwise contribution of your MOs. So that's why we do a symmetrization uh, in showing equation showing in the right that you symmetrize the i and the j orbitals to make sure that fij equals to fji in the features. And also we order the MOs to make sure that in the each position that it represents the same identity because Recall that we extract the uh, the uh, the features from a matrix. So basically, ordering is a flattening out strategy. That how we flattening out these matrix as a vector, and also we cap the feature lines because for smaller molecules you might have very few features, but for very large molecules you might have a lot of orbitals. So you have a lot of features in your feature vector. So that's why we cap. The, the maximum number of the occupied orbital and the virtual orbitals that we include in this, uh, uh, in, the, in the prediction, in the feature set. So that's why we could have a consistent size for different sides of the molecules. So this is important for us to transfer between different sides of the molecules. And for the, the first example I show here is a prediction of water potential energies. So basically, we sample several water geometries or structures from molecular dynamics, and we could reconstruct the entire potential energy surface of water with very accurate. So this is um uh, under one to around one to the uh, ten to the negative five millihartree is um similar to Kekalpomer. So it's a very very small, very tiny uh, arrows in our reconstruction of the potentials. So here we are using a Gaussian process regression, not neural network, because we're targeting to only using 100 structures instead of thousands of structures. So that's another thing that usually people are doing that when they want to construct a potential energy surface to describe this molecule, when you have different bound lengths to have a very accurate energies, they will train thousands of the configurations or structures of this molecule and learn using neural net. But since we are talking to, to high level accuracy theory, 
you cannot always compute thousands or ten thousands of the structures. So that's why we're using Gaussian process. That require you only have ten to one hundred structures, and then you could have a very accurate potential energy surface. And also, I I show three level of theories. Uh, as recall, the CCSD process T is the golden standard we we targeting to, and MP two is cheaper and less accurate. But we find actually we reach the same level of accuracy. So although CCSD process T is harder than MP two, uh, to compute in the reality, but in our mobile mail, in our approach, they are the same hardness. So as long as you gave me. Hundred CCSD process T, I could give you very accurate potential. So, and the second example I show here is uh, that I'm using small alkenes like anthene and methene and propenes to predict a larger alkenes uh, like isobutene and n-butene. So, in this test, we find that uh, our transfer test is pretty successful. So basically, our model has the ability to predict on small molecules to predict large molecules. And the figure shows the arrows of the absolute er the, uh, the, the arrows of our predictions relative uh, com uh, uh, predictions compared with the true values for the building data. And we see all the arrows are very small. And this shaded area is called chemical accuracy area. Basically, people are happy when all your data lying into this accuracy. So all our data is in this region, so we are happy. So we are very accurate. And usually, DFT is also targeting in this region. So we are better than DFT because we are more accurate. And that's for the slide 5. And for slide 6, so like what I showed in slide 5 is a regression. So basically, we have an energy target. That we want to target to or regress or reproduce, but uh, for the slide six, I I show some rationale for how to apply our molecular orbital based features to understand the chemical space and supervise the light. So basically, you don't have any energy labels. You just have a set of the molecular orbital based features. How you understand the chemical uh, space? So on the left column. I show some pure computation results, no machine learning. So I plot the pair energies, epsilon ii, one of the pair energies, versus the feature value, one of the feature value, fii, for four different molecules. Uh, and the and for the sigma bond in the four molecules. Although there are different molecules, we could see that the sigma bonds are all lying into the same line, and we could extrapolate with each other. So this support what I mentioned that before, sigma bond is sigma bond. So even though you have different feature values, but your functions is the same, or your trend is the same. So that's why we could extrapolate from each other and generalize our model when you're training on water model, you could also predict HF, ammonia, or methane because you are the same, you have the same type of the orbital, you learn it in your uh, machine learning model. But for Euro method, when you do a geometric representation, they are totally different. So you never trained on this molecule, so that's why you cannot learn to predict it. And also, we find that like, 
for for all these I'm a molecular orbitals, they are pretty local linear. So basically, if you see for within a short range, these are lines instead of a curve. So this could be a very useful property too for us when we study the molecular orbital based features. And on the right column, I show a machine learning results using Tiffany. Tiffany is a a, a, a high-dimensional projection uh, to a low two-dimensional uh, space uh, with a preservation of the distances between the feature vectors. It's a very commonly used and supervised uh, visualization tools uh, in uh, machine learning. So I'm visualizing the uh, IoT theories that I showed in the last slide of the anything property and the beauty. So, um, uh, so each dot represents one mo in this uh, in the molecules, and the different colors represent different uh, molecules. And we could see a natural clustering for this plot. That uh, I also draw a line. So on the left is all the CH sigma bonds in all the molecules. In the middle are the CC sigma bonds in of in the all the molecule. And we also see an extra group of the points. That is actually the CH sigma bond in the middle carbon. So when you have a longer carbon chain, say if you have three carbons, in the middle you will have a CH bond. But because this CH bond is slightly different than the CH bond that is directly connected to a carbon that never connected to another carbon, carbon, carbon. So that's why this shows up here. So uh, only property and building has this category of points. So that's why uh, anything, you never see it here. So, so in this plot, we can find the first conclusion is chemical space could form a nice clusters. So similar type of the bonds will cluster together or MOs will cluster together. And also in different molecules, the same type of the bonds will cluster together. So basically when you do a regression, when you do a regression task, your machine learning will model will feel this will be an interpolation instead of extrapolation when you predict abusing using property and anything because it sees it in the training data. So that's why it makes our approach has a very powerful ability to predict large molecules using small molecules because you see it in the small molecules. And all these results could also infer that we could use our MOP features as a general tool to cluster the chemical space. So usually cl people cluster the chemical space uh, using uh, geometries or the mo molecule-based. But here we're using a molecular orbital-based representation. So our molecular orbital representations will be a new idea to think how you think about the chemical space. And also, based on the clustering, we could also construct some local regression models. Say, uh, because it is uh, because maybe it is hard for you to regress a lot of data. But when you just regress a local cluster, which means I just regress the CH bound, it will be much easier for you to reach a very accurate model. Instead of I want to be accurate for all everything using one regression model. So this will also scale our learning because GTR is a, a pretty expensive 
machine learning method Q. So new neural network is a, a linear scaling, but GPR is a qubit scaling. So that's the slide six. And for slide seven, uh, I might uh, to skip it because we have limited time. But I just want to say that for the slide seven, where I just uh, pointing out some physics, uh, some some improvements uh, for the features that I introduced to make sure that we have better physical performance in the feature set to satisfy more desired properties. And also, I here I introduce a scalable Gaussian process regression, basically the machine learning techniques we have we develop to learn a lot of molecules in the chemical space, like what neural network could do. Neural network could learn thousands, ten thousands of the molecules that generate a general, uh, general model like a DFT that's applicable to a lot of things. But for GP, it is very hard. But we develop a new G GPA algorithm to enable that. And I think the only useful thing in this slide for us is the, the, the figures I show here, the panel A and the panel B, then I show that I learn on a seven heavy atom, which is only have seven, carb seven carbons or oxygen or nitrogens in the molecule, could be considered as a small molecule data set. Um, and uh, in the panel B, I show that using this small molecule trained model to learn a general larger molecule data set called the GDB13, which has 13 carbons or nitrogens or oxygens in the molecules. So basically this is showing that we our model trained on small molecules could be applicable to very large systems. Um, and we have very high accuracy. The shaded area is what we consider chemical accuracy. People are targeting to, DFT are targeting to, and we could easily reach these highly accurate regions with only a hundred or maybe 50 structures that we randomly sampled from the chemical space. And for the, for the slide eight, I show the results for unsupervised clustering of the entire chemical space. Like what I mentioned, we could better understand the chemical space using our molecular orbital based features. And here we again using these two data sets called QMSMB and the GDB13, which are covering different types of the molecules in the organic space. And we plot the, the bond connectivity, the bond order, and basically the bond types that identified by the quantum simulations and also identified by the molecular orbital based features in the two panels. The, the out, out layer of this pie chart is the connectivity. Basically, if you're CH or CC or OH, something like that. And the second layer is the bond order. Basically, if we are carbon-carbon single bond or carbon-carbon double bonds, because they are different. And the inner layer is purely machine learning using molecular orbital phase features that we could see that for, for example, for CH bonds, that you only see two clusters for the CH bonds, although it takes around 40% of the entire chemical space. This is the most frequent uh, bond MO type. And, uh, and you find actually this right, the deep right cluster only has CH bonds. It didn't see, they didn't have any CC bonds, CO bonds, no. 
and also for that uh, uh, deep uh, dark purple cluster, it also only contains CH bond. And also we can find a lot of other examples, for example, the OH lone pair, which is the light purple color. It only contains o o the lone pair um, MO on oxygen. So, and the same pattern we could find in the GDB13, which is a larger uh, molecules that we could see first, chemical space are very similar, even though you have a larger molecules, your bond, your bond frequency are still the same because the Arctic rule are how we construct a, a chemistry molecules, right? So that's why you always have CH bond as the most frequent molecular orbitals or the chemical bonds. And also we see the same pattern and the same identity. So the same deep, dark, the same bright red cluster belongs to CH bond and the dark purple belongs to CH bond. And it's the same pattern as what we see in the QMSMB data set. So this suggests that using molecular orbital perspective to understand the chemical space is efficient and useful for us to see how well different types of molecular orbitals locate in the space. And imagine when you have a new orbital you, that, that you never know the bond connectivity or bond orders, you never seen it before. In a react, say you see it in a reaction, organic reaction, you cannot classify it. You could use our molecular orbital features and pinpoint a similar property MOs. So for example, it may, might be similar to a, a, a CN bond, a CN triple bond. Then you could infer the property of this new type of MO using your known properties that you know from the CN triple bonds to understand these reactions, to understand this process. And in the slide nine, um, I show that we, when we combine these uh, cluster with the local uh, Gaussian process regression, so basically I just regress each type of the clusters and to construct uh, overall energy prediction, we still could provide the sort of accuracy that we beat all the current literature in the world, that we could achieve the best accuracy and the best transferability to large molecules. So we see some other literature called DeepHF that is using the same cost. They are also using Hartree-Fock cost that they compute Hartree-Fock and predict the differences and extract some, uh, you know, some energies or um, some information from the Hartree-Fock computations as their uh, representation. So in the QMSMB, which is what they learned, trained on, they perform similar well as what we did. But when you apply it to a larger molecule, we could directly see that the accuracy collapsed for the, for the literature DPHF method because they don't have the transferability in their, um, in their uh, setup. So that's why a mobile mail is a very powerful tool in both uh, unsupervised learning and supervised learning, even though you want to train a very large data set like what neural network you really work on. And in the slide 10, I just make a quick conclusion for what we did uh, in this work. So our research goal is trying to merging maximum physical knowledge that we know from the quantum simulation and the quantum theory into machine learning and generate a general tool 
for chemical applications. So for the physical knowledge, what we use, including firstly, we use the advantage, the one of the decomposition, like what I introduced the Nesby theorem to first decompose the total energy as two components. One is Hartree-Fock, one is the correction, basically the correlation energy. And then we decompose the correlation energy as pairwise contributions. And we learn that pairwise contribution. Secondly, we our molecular orbital-based representation preserve the chemical information that provided in the Hartree-Fock computation and also satisfy a lot of physical limits that I point out. For the machine learning black box or the applications, we create some regression models for the molecular energies. We also could do some supervised or unsupervised clustering for the chemical space to facilitate the exploration of chemical space and improve our chemical understanding for reactions, uh, for any new explorations. And also we develop, we, we make our machine learning model work for both small and big data regime. So basically you can generate a male model as a DFT. Once you generate a large model, it can work like a DFT, like what I showed. And in the, for the applications, basically today I just focusing on the organic chemistry uh, using the QM7B dataset and the GDB13 dataset, which represent different sides of the molecular, of the organic molecules. But I want to also mention that in our papers, uh, previous publications, we also show several examples, including the uh, biomolecule interactions uh, and also transition metal complex and also transition states, etc. So we show different applications. It's not saying we are only working for organic chemistry, we're working for general applications. But uh, today we just showed organic chemistry. So I hope today I convinced everyone we are a physical driven black box, interpretable, accurate, transferable molecular modeling method. And we are at high to forecast to predict the golden standard CSD presses T or even higher level of the theory. And the last page is a lot of uh, several developers in this team, my PI and the postdocs, Wilburn and uh, uh, Harsh. And Jasper is the graduate student, and also the previous graduate student, Sebastian, and another postdoc, Emiliano, and also several findings we have. Thank you so much for this amazing talk. This is so impressive. Um, it's, uh, it's such an elegant um, technology that you have here. Uh, thank you so much for presenting it um, so thoroughly. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have any questions, please flash your microphone, and we will um, we will take your questions. We have I don't know how how much time do you have left? Oh, I'm okay. So yeah, I think I could. Uh, maybe do um, 30 minutes. I mean, I'm free. So, I mean, if people have questions, you can feel free to ask. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay. Please flash your mic if you have a question. Okay. 
So for the uh, regression, uh, are you regressing on the, let's say, the the uh, uh, distance uh, or the, uh, I didn't hear quite clearly, the, is the feature that uh, or the uh, regression, uh, regress, uh, sir, that the, uh, you're regressing upon the, uh, is it like, did you mention like 200 features or something? Uh, I wasn't quite clear about that. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I, I, I'm not sure if I quite understand your question. So let me clarify if I, uh, could you let me know if I'm, I'm understanding it wrongly. So you're asking uh, what the learning target, the prior energies we're learning from each molecules, are they sampled from a, from a based on a distance? Say so basically we're dragging the molecules on a potential energy surface. So. Uh Oh, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I, I mean, that's what I understand. I'm not sure if that's your question. Uh, yeah, so so um, are you basically, um, I guess, regressing, let's say, the, 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 the uh, ultimate purpose is uh, to get the, let's say, the, uh, the, the strength of the bonds, uh, the given um, any any composite uh, atoms would see to see if they can um, uh, form a molecule. Is, is that right? Uh, no, no, no. We are we are directly regret. We are targeting to predict the total molecular energy of a molecule of a structure. Okay, so basically, uh, it's the total molecular. Uh, but the thing is, do you? Uh, so I guess I'm uh, not uh, quite clear uh, about the ultimate goal uh, so is it to let's say given uh, so basically you, you want to compute the uh, the total uh, molecular energy right so let's say uh, is it the question the if given the composite atoms uh, these uh, atoms to uh, is it to answer the question whether they can form a molecule and then what the the, uh, the let's say ground state uh, energy is. It, it, would that be a correct statement? No, we are not computing the atomization energies. So you, what you are uh, frame, framing is uh, atomization energy. Say we are say something like we have atoms when they form a molecule. There will be atomization energy. We are not computing the atomization energies. We are computing the total energies. And by decomposing them at hartree fock theory com computation and predicting the correct the correction of the uh, advanced theory. Oh, oh, oh I see. Okay. Say like a DFT, you compute a DFT energy. So uh, probably it's easier for you to understand the DFT. Say you compute a DFT energy of a molecule, and then you think DFT is not good. So you want a FUCI or maybe MRCI or maybe CC accuracy for this molecule. Then you compute a difference between the, your DFT computation and the CCSD computations. You find the difference probably one kicker That is why your DFT is not accurate. And the, our machine model is predicting that one kicker more or maybe 10 kicker more that you find the difference. Okay, I see. So basically, it's a refinement on the, let's say, uh, either Hartree-Fock uh, theory or yes. the uh, correlation. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. So I, I originally so was thinking... So it's similar to B3-LIP. 
it's similar to Pistol Lake, right? So Pistol Lake also you need to compute how to fork, and you did some other things to make how to fork better. So we are similar. We are refining the how to fork using the how to fork cost and giving you a what very high theory, whatever you want. FCI, if you have FCI, we put the FCI too. So if you have it, but you know, we cannot compute FCI. So that's why we're using CFD present C as example. Got it, got it. Okay, I see. I, I thought that they, uh, it was uh, to, to to actually compute the, uh, yeah, atomization and, and uh, energy and then see if they, uh, given the uh, the atoms, whether you can actually form the, the uh, 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 stable molecule. Um, okay, so, so right now so you, you know they can form this particular molecule, but you want to get a, a higher uh, uh, correction to the uh, energy correction to the uh, uh, Hartree-Fock plus the uh, correlation and uh, the exchange correlation function, right? Uh, you could understand in that way, because I guess probably DFT it's easier for people to understand. Uh, but you know, we are wave function theory, so it's slightly different. So it's not exchange correlation, it's just called correlation analogy. Slightly different because exchange correlation is more uh, related to like uh, column terms. But actually for correlation part, it's not only the column term, something like that. So, so, so it's, they are slightly different, but I think that understanding it's okay, so to understand general idea. I see. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, hi, Jiashu. Please go ahead okay. with your question. Could I ask? Uh, I see the uh, all the MO orbitals are canonical, right? Uh, actually, I didn't mention that they are not canonical orbitals. They are localized molecular orbitals. Canonical okay, orbitals cannot work uh, because they are not local. So this is another important idea that I didn't mention, but I, if people have interest, uh, you could listen to this part, but if you think that's too advanced, that's okay. It's not a fact understanding. So it is important for you to have local orbitals because all the bubble mail is local. Like what I showed is the local linearity plot in the unsupervised uh, in the slide six. Um, you see that uh, you need to preserve the local linearity or local properties to constrain uh, everything into your molecular orbital. So it is important for you to use localized molecular orbital, not canonical. Yeah, if you use localized orbital, I think it's feasible to try not the only two, one pair. You can you can try three some like the three orbitals. Uh, at the third order uh, correlation or fourth order correlation uh, correction. Uh, so so your point is um that uh, I'm using two body decomposition instead of three body or higher body, but um, I want to point out that MO is a two body property that three body decomposition is not meaningful at all. Like what Nesbitt theorem point out that it is exact when you do two body decomposition. Your three-body interactions is inferred by your two-body interactions. Say if you have three water molecules in the system, like a water trimer that interact with each other, or maybe for a more general, like a condensed uh, uh, theory, like you have a lot of water in the system, they are interacting each other and it will affect your pair energies when you have a three-body. So your pair okay. energies will be different. And when you have a, and your heart rate will also be different. So it is all reflected in the MOs. So two body term is exact and sufficient. 
Okay. So uh, could I ask a, a final question? Uh, what do you think uh, the error where is uh, the error is from? Uh, uh, the fi missed features? Oh. Uh, the, the errors. So there are several errors from. So one errors is about that the learning errors. So we have a paper that in summation that showed that we could do a QM that which is over uh, 10, uh, uh, 100K, over 100K molecules with nine heavy atoms, which is larger than what I showed today. So it's a very large molecule. We could reach 0.05 kcal accuracy. So it's a limitation of your learning structures that if you have a lot of structures, you can always improve your accuracy. But you know, that's probably not that meaningful because you're from 0.1 kcal to 0.05 that you require double of your training. So that's one aerosol that you're not training enough. So you still have the ability to further improve your accuracy. But it's probably not meaningful, not worth that that your inputs, efforts, your computational hours to generate this energy, reference energy. The second thing is about what I mentioned about the clustering thing. So when you generate, trying to generate a general model, it is very hard for machine learning to learn everywhere accurate, right? So, so, so because it's a complicated thing, right? It's very complicated everywhere. So you need to figure out everywhere probably have different properties in different regions or different bonds, but you, when you regress them together, so it is hard. So that's why learning itself is also having accuracy loss. So that's why when you break them down into small pieces and ask the machine learning to focus in on one type of the bound, it will perform better. So now it's only for the uh, most for a family of molecules, not universal, right? I'm saying for universal. If you're saying for one molecule, we're rating the computational noise. So remember that one ten to the negative five millihertz, which is which is ten to the negative eight hertz, is generally most of the quantum simulation software could provide the precision. So we're reaching the precision of your reference theory now. So if you're seeing that we are just learning one molecule or two molecules, we are reaching the we are reaching the best actually. You cannot improve other the noise from your software. Okay, thank you. Um, do you have, does anyone have more questions? I have one question and thank you so much for sharing your slides. So you mentioned about the larger number of molecules and I was just wondering about the number of the clusters, I mean, include of the diagonal and off diagonal, how you just estimate that? Uh, yeah, I think this is a very good, uh, good question that when you have a larger and larger size of training, you definitely will also have larger and larger number of clusters. Um, so it will uh, become an issue, say, when you have infinite uh, learning data, you will have infinite cluster. That's insane, right? That's not agree with our chemical knowledge. So what we find is when you have probably like what I mentioned, 100K molecules, it's sufficient for you to just use in the cluster 
uh, trained with one uh, 10k molecules instead of using the 100k. So we think that for only for the unsupervised learning part, when you do the clustering, you do have a limitation that you split up more and more, more, uh, more you add more and more structures and speak up further and further, you, you didn't improve your accuracy because you reached a, a possible chemical uh, type of the bonds. So, uh, so actually for the unsupervised part, you do have that limitations. Um, but if you just have like what I showed here, 10, 10K, you are not reaching that limit yet. But for further, you will reach the limit. So it will not be an infinite. It will be a finite. And what we found in the practice is around 200 for the diagonal and around 1,000 uh, for the off-diagonal. But it's still the, I mean, energy surface generate, right? Um, so this is, a, if we are seeing clustering, that's for a general molecule. So, so for a general molecular data set. Now for a mo one molecule potential. For one molecule potential, you don't need to do a clustering because they are following the same pattern. Clustering will not help you so much. But for different types of molecules, various types, various structures, you don't know if they are similar or not, you just regress them together. Clustering is helpful. But if you're just targeting for one molecule or few molecule potential, like a reaction, you don't have to do clustering. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for the question and the answer. Um, does anyone else has an additional question? Um, yeah, thank you so much for this really amazing presentation. And um, you mentioned it was mentioned in the abstract um, that you um, you have also the that you have this improved um, prediction is there since it's uh, since it's a mix of supervised and unsupervised learning um, is there a way to it's also mentioned that you have a way of basically um, telling how basically um, the results um, were um, computated so um, is this so is this approach a better way to um, look at um, basically causalities in the future? Can you apply this for other? Um, can you use this for other applications? This um, method so that you can basically it's very important to know how um, machine learning came up with their results in like more complex. Um, in more complex uh, real-world experience. Let's say, for example, um, if a hospital wants to know if a specific intervention helps patients um, more, can can you would you be able at some point to use this type of machine learning to come up not just with a result but also why uh, um, the yeah. model came up with it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a good question. So you are asking for causality. So basically, there are two folds of the causality. First folds is why mob features could work so well. Is there any similar techniques that similar to mob features could also work well? Basically, if there is a causality of why mob ML or mob features work well, then we could understand why it's working well. I think this is the first fold of the causality. Second causality fold of the causality is uh, if we could uh, using the mob ML results to understand the quantum simulation theories, like what we're learning, say like CSD Princess T. Uh, I think that's what I understand for the two folds of the causality. Uh, so if we say, for example, if we understand CSD Princess T, is there any way for us to using this technique to generate a new theory? To explore a new theory that if you derive from physics, that is so hard for you to explore a new thing. But is, is there a way for us to direct these people? I think that's for me two two folds of the causality. The first fold causality, I'm thinking about say why this works so well, and is there any potential for this rationale could be extended to other fields, not only chemistry or, or biology, but whatever. Uh, AI for science fields, I do think it could have the, the general idea or the soul of this work could be extended. So the soul of this work is not actually molecular orbital or, or anything else. It's actually the decomposition we are using. So basically you are putting 99% of the knowledge that people have already figured out during the past 100 years into the machine learning instead of ask the machine learning to figure out by yourself. Say I just directly ask it to learn the total energies, then mobile mail could not work well too. Because you are asking machine learning to do so many things. It is so hard for it to learn directly. But of course, if you give it 10,000, 100,000, millions of data, it probably can figure out, but that's not really worth it. So that's why I think the soul is that we put most of the people knowledge into the model. We design everything based on the physics or what we have already known uh, from this perspective to design machine learning instead of from a computer science perspective to design machine learning. We want to be very fast in the model, how to write the neural, uh, neural network layer. Um, I think that's why we are more successful because we're really using, using the people's knowledge to, to facilitate machine learning. So machine learning has an easier task. So that's why it can perform well. So I think this idea could be generalized in any area for science, physics, biology. So what people have already learned is still very useful for you as a baseline to for machine learning. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, I think um, for uh, to for our causality for the other causality, say if we could help to feedback to improve to explore a new direction of the quantum simulations uh, or or the or the quantum simulation series, uh, like the series I mentioned, I think there is still a possibility um, that the mobile mail can work as a debugging tool or as a uh, as a direction tool, so in our development, so it's my own experiences. When I the when model mail gave me some right warning, say 
I have very bad predictions. If I dig into the predictions, I could always find this MOs, this type of the MOs, or this structure has some issue. And then we work together to see why it has issue, and we can always find that this is an electronic structure or quantum simulation issue. So basically, we pick a bad simulation theory, or we didn't do well in our reference data uh, generation. So this really happened in our previous experiences. So actually, uh, we find this useful that the machine learning can infer your physical computations if it's reliable or not. I think model mail could be a very useful tool in terms of that. Say I develop a new theory. I don't know if it is reliable. We could try model mail and see if model mail gives you any red, red warning. Because if we when you just compute an energy, it's a number. You never know if it's reliable or not. Other than you compare with another existing theory that say, oh, I agree with it, so I'm fine. So I think this will be another debugging tool for the new theory development. And also I think um, the idea that we are giving here that we might be able to incorporate into a theory development, say using model mail to facilitate or uh, combined with a new theory that a new theory based on model mail um, that could, could, could be a physical development. Uh, I, I think that's another possibility for the causality. Yeah, that's amazing. That that I really yeah, I think that that is um uh, really impressive. Um and uh yeah, I think in the future we will be really thankful for your work um because yeah, the causality I think is a is a big issue currently. So yeah, it's uh yeah, it's really important your work. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I think a lot of AI for science people also notice that um, how you can understand or interpret um, the neural network is a very, very challenging thing. So usually you got something that is not that meaningful, just a number, you don't know how to interpret that. So that's why we use Gaussian process and using this entire framework, because we could always interpret what we got. So Gaussian process I didn't mention has uncertainty predictions. So if you have a large uncertainty applying an existing ML, ML model, you find a very large uncertainty. It means that the model, the current mobile ML cannot predict this molecule. So even though it provides you a, a number, so you don't know if it's true or not, if it's accurate or not. So our model has the ability to tell you that we warn you this number might not be true, might not be good. So, so, so especially for the case that you never have a real true value in your calculation. So that's uh, a thing that most of the neural network based method could not achieve. The neural network gave you a number, you never know if it is good or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really impressive. That's really very, very important. So. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, the, Frank, do you want to ask you a last question? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, as well. I mean, thanks. Thanks very much. And uh, for so uh, 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 next question, Lee, uh, 
in, in so this is uh, uh, also related to computation com computation so have you cons uh, use uh, utilize the popular uh, methods like sparsification i mean I, i'm aware of popular many zeros in in, in your computation in order to uh, improve performance i mean that's one and uh, also to just i mean because I'm interested in this work uh, so much, I just want to learn more. So when you uh, have the uh, plots for the error, so could you uh, just uh, repeat what what uh, how, how do the uh, error is computed? Uh, I assume you're based using the uh, uh, HF uh, uh, computation. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, if you have more time, yeah, I do have more. Yeah, questions. yeah, yeah. So I think the easy, uh, the easiest question is the se the second one is about the error approximation, uncertainty approximation. Actually, it's directly from the Gaussian process. Gaussian process is a Bayesian method. So Bayesian method, which means that you have inferences and confidence levels for all the predictions. So actually, what Gaussian process predict is not a single point value. It's a at this point, it's a dis distribution. Say I only have a, a, a x vector. I predict it at it uh, using the GPR model. Then it will give me a predictive mean, which is the Gaussian distributed mean of this your tar your target prediction, and also a standard deviation of this Gaussian distribution. So if you think of each point as a Gaussian process, that's a little bit mathematical, but if you think of it as a distribution, so actually all the predictions is for each point, it is a pre it's a distribution. So that's why you will have an error approximation because you have uncertainty. So for the uncertainty, if you see the point, so Gaussian processor is a rigorous mathematical tool that it can guarantee to have an exact, in, a exact interpolation because it's a linear algebra thing. So uh, I didn't put the equation of Gaussian processing in the slides, but everyone could see it from the Wikipedia that it is exact interpolation. But for the point, it never trained, which means it's extrapolation. It will have a wider distribution at each point to say that I'm not confident for this point. So that's why when you never see a molecule or this type of molecular orbitals, our model will directly give you a red warning that you have very large uncertainty, it might not be accurate. So this is from the machine learning techniques we are using. Now that the problem setup or the the, the mob features or the Harry Fork based learning is now from there. It's from the learning, uh, uh, it's from the Bayesian learning approach. So that's the first question. I see. So, so then with uh, with uh, uh, with your contribution uh, giving a linear cluster, you basically improve on that, right? Uh, you mean you're asking for the leading cluster? The linear cluster that uh, you, 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 your work. Yes, so the clusters that, um, so the clusters uh, that when you train the supervised clusters in, with a new point, it and always assign a cluster. But if the points that uh, you never see, it can, it can only be assigned to the nearest cluster. It will improve the uncertainty, but still it will be larger than your normal points that you trained. You have already seen this type of the bond. Is that clear? So. Yes, that supervised clustering will help you to reduce the uncertainty because uh, it will give you a closer model 
that might have a smaller uncertainty, but still compared with other points, it has larger uncertainty. So you still can tell if a point you have read it, if your point, uh, if uh, uh, you can still tell a prediction is reliable or not. Right, so this is, uh, I'm just trying to get the, the, the picture uh, from of your uh, the abstract of your work. So the linear regression model that uh, you I assume that you you're used to improve the I mean uh, what what so, so, so may, maybe related or unrelated paper. That's uh, I think you are reading the 2019 or 2000 paper that is very long time ago. That will abandon that technique. Actually, I didn't introduce that in the paper. Oh, in this I'm, I'm 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 searching. Uh, I got the paper from the the link yeah, from the, uh, the yeah link yeah. yeah. So we have an archive paper that we are still under review. That using the most recent technique. So that technique, linear regression, that still works. Works, but you know the pre performance is not good. So that's why we abandoned that technique. It's three years ago. Um, so I think that probably the confusion where the confusion from. Oh, sorry. I just uh, to clarify because the, the room, you know, introduction has a, a DOI like link. So I I, 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 oh, I, I oh, like oh. this title so much. So I actually downloaded the paper and read a, a little bit. Anyway, oh, so thanks for the clarification. But uh, the uh, yeah, my uh, another question related to uh, uh, numerics techniques of sparsification is. Uh, Basically, uh, supercomputing that uh, you know, to speed up your performance. But uh, because I saw you have O and uh, two O and you know O and square O and cube, kind of a uh, complex uh, complex yeah. type of arguments. Yeah, We're using GPUs. So if you read my slides, that for for uh, for you know for slides that I skip, that for the scalable GPR, I think it's slide seven or slide eight. Um. So for that, uh, I. I, I mentioned that we are multi-GPU, we could do multi-GPU. Oh, it's slide seven on figure. I said we are six hours on eight V100 uh, DGX GPU uh, from NVIDIA. So this is a commonly used academic, uh, academic used GPUs that we are only using six hours. And we are pretty good in terms of the multi-GPU. So if you're one GPU, it will be 40 hours. So our uh, multi-GPU speed up is really good. So we could use GPUs and uh, yeah, it's fast. I see. Yeah, thank you. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, this respect for your time and uh, I'll give the mic to uh, Karina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually for some techniques related to the Gaussian process or this numerical training, we have a series of the publications. So, so mobile mail has around five or six publications. So today I'm trying to be more focused, to be more general. So maybe these papers are not in the links. So that's why people might have confusions. So for example, this GPO thing is not in the paper. It, we, uh, in the current archive paper that Katamina uh, posted in the channel, in the talk channel, uh, we directly set this paper. So we, we, so the paper, the archive paper you're reading is also using GPO. So if you're using GPO, it's also very fast. It's even faster than this. We could train everything with one hour. <laughs> so, so because you have clusters, so each one is cheaper, it's just a speedy, very fast. 
like fly. <laughs> so it's faster than your neural network. I, I guarantee you it's faster than the neural network. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for um for this amazing presentation and all your explanations. Eli, did you wanna Yeah, talk? just really quick question. You you were you were saying that that uh, you left some methods by the wayside. Um the October twenty twenty paper on uh uh transition metal complexes and non non-covalent interactions, is that is that still current or is is that the the stuff that didn't uh scale well? Uh for that to the, uh, the, the non-covalent interaction transition metal complex paper, we are still using the old techniques. Uh, that's not October 2021. I think it's uh, June, but not June, January. Or, it, well, it's, 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 dated, it's dated October 2020. Oh, really? Okay, then that's why I don't exactly know the date. You know, I, I was thinking it's 2021. Yes. For that one, we are not using the, we are not using these scalable techniques. Um, but all these applications using these scalable techniques will give you the same performance or even better performance. Um, so we didn't come back to these uh, these uh, examples because we just working on the benchmark that neural network people usually working on to compare with the neural network people. So yes, for the old papers you mentioned. It didn't using this uh, scalable technique. So, so follow up then. Um, um, are you? Uh, I or have you, or or are you planning to um, take the the current stuff that you discussed today and uh, apply that to organometallics? Um. So the case is that. So. I have already graduated and uh, yeah, and my PI has already left academia actually. He has already started his own company. Um, so uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm thinking about using, I'm thinking about a lot of things like doing excited states and we are preparing, we are preparing uh, stuff for open shell molecules and strong correlating systems. So I do think we have a very good potential to do organic metallics, especially when we have open shell paper published. Um, it's still under, you know, preparation. Um, because actually what we reported in the paper you are reading is closed shell um, transition metal complex. Um, but in the real reactions, organic chemistries, most of them are open shell. So we could do open shell too. So I do see this technique itself could do it, but for us, I don't think we have time to show illustrate the examples. But for me personally, I want to do it. It depends on my new position if they support me to continue this direction or not. Um, but I, I think I think if if people ask me if you can do it, yes, we can do it, and I'm pretty sure it will be very good performance. Um, and we do, um, um, but uh, but you know we do do not have uh, any more time, <laughs> so that's the issue. So so yeah, um, uh, organometallic uh, complexes and especially uh, uh, open shell calculations, which are the really challenging ones, um, are an area of interest. And and if I if I get funded to to carry on um, uh, some work in that area, and 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 you are able to, I would certainly be interested in in, in potentially collaborating. 
Ah, uh, yes, of course. I'm happy with any collaborations. So I think um for collaboration that should be fun. Um, and I'm also I mean it's also the thinking depends on my new positions definitely. But uh, I mean for the general electronic structure theory, I still have the ambition to keep working on this type of uh this type of work. Not only model mail because like I mentioned. This could infer you for more general featureizations or design, like uh, atomic orbitals, uh, like Slater determinant, whatever. All these are possible, and we do have a lot of like polynite uh, using similar type of ideas. So I do see we could do collaborations in the future. Oh, sorry, I must leave. Someone is knocking the door. Oh, okay. Someone's knocking my door. Could we just Thanks so much. Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time uh, you gave us and the explanation. And uh, congratulations yeah. on your work. And I wish you all the best for your new position. Maybe you come thank back you. with updates. Thank you. <laughs> thank you See so you, much. Everyone. Bye. Bye. Enjoy your Saturday. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks everyone for coming and asking great questions. If you want to continue to chat a little bit, um, it's fine with me. Like, um, yeah, uh, but um, yeah, thank you for um, yeah for this uh, being part of this room. I I was very impressed with her and her work. I think it's really cool and really important. And um, yeah. Uh, we'll have, oh, Eli, go ahead. Yeah, so, so like, so many times over the years, I've wanted to, to like, you know, find improvements in, in uh, quantum chemistry calculations. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really stunned by the power of extracting features from, uh, just from the Hartree-Fock um, and and using machine learning on molecular orbitals. I mean, it's certainly a place that that, that I had thought about going, but like, it's just it 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 definitely exceeds what I would have expected. So so I just want to kind of comment that this is this is really uh, um, encouraging and kind of inspiring and in, in in like a nerdy sort of way. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, she she's amazing. I mean, her work is amazing, but also she is really, she is so smart. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I uh, also on the Eli's uh, uh, comment. This is a fascinating field, and uh, I just wish there's more time for this uh, very uh, interesting discussion. You know, maybe uh, the next time and. Uh, we can invite her back and uh, to, to teach us more of the, you know. By the way, uh, I was, uh, I don't know if it's uh, relevant because I got the, I uh, am informing some kind of geometry kind of uh, pictures of the, my, you know, uh, by based on mission understanding. The linear, uh, uh, some, somehow I thought her work is based on the, uh, kind of a, a pairwise linear uh, distance type of uh, uh, extraction, you know, the features. I, I was just wondering if that's universally generalizable. But anyway, it may be, uh, you know, a back channel or, or you know, for this. Uh... <laughs>
I think in general it is. I, I that's that's what I understood also from her answer. I mean, I asked uh, regarding causality issues with AI or machine learning, but I I believe it would be. But um, yeah, I really like the also the part about the causality that she can really tell um, if you know the result is the number that comes out is accurate or not because that's really something people struggle with a lot so so, so also for that it's a, it's a, it's a really wonderful uh, approach so I was really impressed. I, I, I might actually uh, follow up because this uh, for me I have a, a, a little bit an understanding of uh, unsupervised learning because that's more of a kind of a uh, factorization type of approach without really objective uh, functions. Uh, value functions and like supervised learning. I wonder if this uh, uh, her approach will be adding a tool, good uh, factorization tool sets to the current, you know, most prevalent like uh, or be it a neural net or whatever whatever uh, supervised learning algorithm that already showing great potentials. This is, you know it's like Alpha, uh, the Google uh, kind of. Uh, chemical space exploration. I think that's, you know, that's something, you know, uh, I have a, a sign of homework for myself. Yeah. Eli, I mean, I'm also, you know, I'm looking forward to more discussions of this type with you as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, Katerina, did, um, I don't know if you ever saw the, the deep mind density functional paper no i i didn't it's it's pretty interesting unfortunately it's it's um it's not open or the code isn't open or excuse me the code is open source unfortunately i have not had the time to uh to uh try and get it up and running because i have to like you know install gpu drivers and stuff like that that's painful on my my rack servers <laughs> um but uh, but it would be interesting to to um, to hear from people who are working on that. Or there there's another um, uh, quantum chemistry group also at, at uh, Caltech. I forget the name of the group um, that uh, uh, has some closed source but very interesting um, uh, AI based quantum uh, chemistry stuff. I, I forget the name of the group. Yeah, just send me send me either the link to the group or the paper, and I'll I'll try to invite them. But yeah, we we also gotta like you know nucleate something on uh, on fetal serum free media. <laughs> right. we, we can we can we we can make that take off and and support some real endeavors. Yes, exactly. That's the plan, right? That that's. That's the plan that we are working on to come up with something that's useful and makes money to to have money to do whatever we think we want to do. <laughs> Our agenda. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and find a lot of people that are interesting to collaborate with. So, yeah, I agree. Let's um, let's work on that. I don't, I still don't think it's that hard, but, um, 
I was well, so, so I think that it's going to be an issue with specific t- cell types, um, uh, be, be, you know, that that don't completely support themselves with anything unique that isn't. Uh, in in other words, when they need some unique growth factor uh, that isn't autocrine. Um, that will probably be an issue, but at the same time, if it's an issue, then it's an opportunity to learn. Yeah, and then we would finally know at what stage um, cells would uh, need something really essential. You know, we would also learn uh, based science, physiology. And, and you know, there, there, there are likely to be things that, you know, depend on the right level of insulin or depend on um, the right thing coming from the pituitary or so on and so forth. But, uh, but again, you know, wherever we find frustration, there's like an opportunity to learn something important. Yeah, yeah, in FPS, there's definitely insulin in there. And um, yeah, so I agree. Um, we would learn which cell type differentiation would need what type of, um, like what type of ingredient would be essential for them. And that would give us a lot of insight into, you know, what um, for developmental stuff, it would be really interesting. And also then for um, malnutrition, we would know at you know, at what age maybe and what stage of development special nutrition elements would be really um, crucial. So, yeah, I think we could learn a lot from that. And that is probably when you write that for a federal grant, that's what would get you the federal grant, like NSF or something. The part, if, yeah. Yeah, so, so Car- Carla's very, um, very interested in, in, in pursuing this. So we need to just schedule a time when when she she can she can join us. And, you know, maybe we should also try and, and figure out who, who else, you know, with with a uh, mammalian cell culture background might be interested. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I have some, but I'm not. You know, I wouldn't say I have a name in... It's also important to have somebody with a name to get these grants in that field with a bunch, you know, a lot of publications in the field. So should should check for that. We had a few stem cell differentiation speakers and we will have some in the future, I think. So... Um, yeah, we could maybe contact somebody for that. Yeah, we'll have, um, just to summarize really quick while people are still here, we'll have tomorrow the weekly recap. And then on Monday we have a room, but um, we might have to reschedule. I'm not 100% sure yet. But so far, the room on Monday is about um, telomere to telomere and human repeat elements. Um, so it's about, uh, you know, this uh, non-coding repeat element DNA in the telomeres. Um, and then we'll have uh, Dr. Uh, 
James Tor about uh, using plastic waste products to capture CO2 in nanopores of plastic waste. I'm definitely looking forward to that because I mean, Tour is, is like, he's, he's, you know, a, a very, very well-established researcher. And like, I don't know if, if uh, it, this is one of the things that I'll be asking him about um, the, um, the Joule heating based uh, graphene fabrication. And if, if anybody hasn't seen the paper, there's this paper that they published, I think, like a year ago or so um, where they talked about or they showed getting graphene from just like a whole range of materials including uh, you know low value material which was vegetable waste and then like negative value material which was dog poop. How interesting. No, I didn't see that. I didn't know about that paper. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad um, he said yes, he was traveling a lot and, he, and then he was sick for a while, but gladly he feels better and, and can make it on Tuesday. And then we'll have Wednesday, uh, Dr. Morrissey, uh, it's a doctor that um, discovered a new type of human lung cell um, related to like COVID research. Um, that was just discovered. Um, it's really curious to see that we still don't know every single organ and cell type in our own bodies. It's a, it's quite impressive that like in the last years we still we still get these uh, new insights. And then we'll have uh, Dr. McGuire on also on Wednesday. Uh, complex molecules that have never um, uh, seen before in space. And on Friday, we'll have Dr. Oshi Weller uh, from the UK uh, coming, uh, talking about he developed a varroa-resistant honeybee. Uh, and he will talk about uh, why varroa is so threatening to bees and um, how to basically make them resistant to it. I think it's really important work. We need our bees. And yeah, that's that's our next week. It's a little bit less busy than this week, but this week was crazy busy. So, so it's actually more manageable. So we have one double room day and then one or two days, no room. And uh, yeah, and then on the weekend we can have maybe a discussion um, about our our side projects and interests that we have so that's also fun to have some space for that so yeah i'm looking forward to it thank you for coming everyone and enjoy the rest of your evening or morning or middle of the day wherever you are um and yeah by the way, I see uh, our previous uh, excellent speaker, Rupesh, uh, in the, I'm on the uh, listener. I, would, uh, I wonder if he would uh, like to join us uh, one of the, uh, these future sessions. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Rupesh, anytime. Oh, he's coming. He, he's coming now. He's <laughs> 
Hi, Rupesh. Hi, Rupesh. Hey, Frank. Hey, Katrina. I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. Nice seeing you. Don't know how long have you been yeah. Yeah, listening. Were you? Uh, what's your What's your impression? Was there any uh, comments? Uh, I didn't like like get to come in time. Uh, I was kind of late, so didn't hear much about the talk. But I was going through the PDF, and meanwhile watching NBA as well. So I'm kind of in between. I can't say anything. Sure. I mean, you're very uh, terrifying, <laughs> given that you're, you know, probably related. Uh, yeah, it was kind of related. That's why I was like tr trying to understand what it what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess uh, this time we'll, you know, I'm waiting next time to join us for web uh, discussion. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely would like to join. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by anyway. And um, yeah, we'll have a short summary tomorrow of the rooms. If you, if anyone missed rooms throughout this week, we'll do a short summary, um, which is always kind of rewarding also to like recapitulate what we learned this week. So I think it's always interesting. Okay. Thanks everyone. Enjoy. Bye-bye. See you all soon. Run. Bye.